This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? You know what? It's going pretty good. How are you? Well, I just tried to find you a boyfriend on LinkedIn, so (laughs) (laughs) that's where we are. I, yeah, I don't think that LinkedIn is where I'm supposed to go trolling for dudes, but. Here's the thing, though. When you see what their jobs are, you can guesstimate how much they make, Erin. Well, that person did used to work for Google, so. Listen. (laughs) Maybe he's got that Google money. (laughs) Probably not, though. Um, So. With my luck, he would have been the unpaid intern. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, with, um, with this episode, like this episode comes out the day before Thanksgiving. So I have two questions for you. Um, A, what are your plans? And B, what are you thankful for? Um, so I have plans to kind of like hop all around town on Thanksgiving. I'm going to go see several people, um, my aunts and some friends and my parents at some point, um, Rest in peace. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> and I'm thankful. You know what? I have to shout out. Like, I'm thankful for my my two besties, my Aaron Colt. They have really been there for me the last few weeks when I have been just a miserable human being to be around. And they keep coming around. So I love them. Oh, Aaron's y'all the real MVPs. They are. They, re- they really do, like, spend time with me when... I'm being a bitch and crying a lot, so. <laughs> Fair enough. We all need those friends. Yes. How about you? Um, well, so we always stay here and have Thanksgiving with one of my friends' families. Mm-hmm. Um, it's to the point that, like, her mom texts me just to, like, see how my day is going. And, um, and her, like, siblings all text me, so I'm part of their family. That's um, good. And then we go... Black Friday on Thanksgiving Day shopping. You know how that goes. I do. Eventually we will be in line the Monday before Thanksgiving for Black Friday shopping. I'm just yeah. waiting for that point. I'll be like, it, it, it'll be this time next year. I'll be like, oh, I'm about to leave for Best Buy. Right. <laughs> um, but truth be told, I usually do hit all the Black Friday sales. And this year I am broke as fuck right now. So I will not be going Black Friday shopping at all well, for the first time. That I can remember ever. I will um, Google Hangouts you from Target. So that way it'll feel like you're part of it. Okay, just buy me all the weird, like, shit that's on sale but nobody really needs. Like the Pyrex dishes and the little, like, Rubbermaid containers. I love those. I I always get those at Target at Black Friday. Yeah, me too. I really have to resist the urge to get Pyrex every time I see it on sale, to be honest. I love Pyrex. Um, and God, then, we're so old, right? <laughs> and then the thing I am thankful for, um, I'm off of school this week. That's the thing I'm thankful for. You should also be thankful that you don't have to try to find a boyfriend on LinkedIn. That's true. I am thankful mm-hmm. for that. Um, by the way, your hair looks amazing. Oh, thank you. I know. I it's, love it. This um, <laughs> audio. Um, medium that we're working in today i just want to compliment your hair which trust me it looks amazing um (laughs) oh so one other thing i did this week is i like re-downloaded bumble 
And then, like, I immediately got rid of it because I was like, this is terrible and I hate it. Right. <laughs> Everyone knows LinkedIn is the new dating site. Yeah. Well, Facebook has a dating thing now and it keeps encouraging me to do so. And I'm like, no, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm good. No, the Russians already have enough of your information, Aaron. Exactly. They don't... This is going to happen how I ended up, end up married to some dude from the Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. <laughs> Sorry, that is, I don't know why that's like the pet peeve that I have this week, but I've heard people say the Ukraine so many times that I'm like, get a map. Aaron still doesn't care. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I know. But it's okay. I do that with, you know, because I work in insurance. So we're, people are constantly talking about their VIN number. And I'm like, it's just VIN. Right. Because otherwise it's your vehicle identification number, number. Right. And pin, that doesn't make sense. Pin numbers the same, yeah. Yes, it's just pin. <laughs> See, okay. um, this is lifetime sentence where we tell you all the things we hate and then end the call. <laughs> you know what I love? What's that? This case that we're about to talk about. Um, before we super get into that, no. Mm-mm. Um, no, what? I don't know. Oh, okay. I was like, I... Uh, I really don't know. Where I, I was, was just going that. to say, because I only introduced half of the podcast, so before you can, like, talk about this movie... Oh, sure. This is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm Phoebe Judge. And I'm... <laughs> dating on LinkedIn. I'm Erin. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, I'm not dating anyone, but... <laughs> It's suddenly become everyone's wild obsession to get me hooked up. Well, that's because if there, if someone needs to claim the life insurance because you've fallen down three flights of stairs one night, I'm too far away to do that. So I just need you to find somebody who can send the money to me. Yeah. Right. I'm just. It's I'm not all left to my child. No. Uh-uh. I'm just trying to find <laughs> a good mediator in my life to handle your finances to send to me when everything goes south. I'm worth nothing to you alive, am I? Listen. Nothing at all. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll have to talk about that off the air because I've got some things to tell you. <laughs> okay, tell me about this movie now. My self esteem is very fragile. Oh. You know I would not spend sometimes three hours on calls with you every week if I hated you. So I'm super pumped about this one. We were going to watch Crimes of the Mind, but then the universe spoke and it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that one, I was like, I probably did three hours of research before I texted you telling you like, yeah, this is not a real thing. That's Yeah, but even the, the, the article says it's a real thing, <laughs> but then the movie says it's not real. Right. And that's why I was like, is this about the horse cult? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, okay. Like, I felt guilty telling you I couldn't find information. God, the horse people cult. I need more information about the horse people cult, too. I knew those people were culty. Um, yeah, so instead we are doing what is probably my favorite case really i randomly picked your favorite case you randomly picked my favorite case i am obsessed with this case we'll get to it in your part but uh yeah i watched the lost wife of robert 
Durst. Not Fred Durst. Not Fred Durst. <laughs> because I have tried to make that mistake several times. <laughs> oh, man. So literally anytime anyone says, what documentary will get me into true crime? I always recommend The, the Jinx. The Staircase? No. <laughs> the Jinx. It's The Jinx. I know. I know. Always, always, always. The Staircase was boring. I know. For as long as I have known you... Hey, you've said the staircase is boring, but you have also recommended the Jinx to me several times over the past year. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. This movie stars Catherine McPhee. For real? Yeah. Like of American Idol fame? Yeah, I'm going to get there. Wow. She plays uh, Kathy Durst. Um, You know her from American Idol, uh, Smash. Smash. She's currently um, in Waitress on Broadway. Uh-huh. She's in that show Scorpion on CBS. I don't know anything about that. Um, yeah, so she's in some some stuff. Oh, and she was in that movie The House Bunny, which is terrible, but so good. I'll watch it anytime. Right? Is she the one who's pregnant the whole time? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, and I will watch it every time it's on. Also, Anna Ferris is like a closet hottie. Yes. Because she like... Wears a bikini in that movie, and I was like, "Excuse me, ma'am, where did you hide that bod?" Um, Daniel Gillies, he plays Robert Durst. I feel he like I know him from nerd stuff. Well, you do, and I'm gonna get there again. Listen, I'm so proud that I've known actors so many weeks in a row. No, but you have to be quiet. Yes, so ma'am. I can tell you, <laughs> he was in Spider Man too. Okay. John Jameson. Ah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also in the originals. Um, he's in a Christmas movie called Bride and Prejudice 2. Oh, oh no, it's just Bride and Prejudice. And it's not a Christmas movie. They're just covered in confetti. Oh, I can Same see how you're confused. Thing. Yeah. Um, and he was also in the Vampire Diaries. Okay. Elijah Michelson. I, Okay. Oh, don't you watch that? I watched a little bit of it. And True Blood. I did not watch True Blood. But I did so The nerd thing it. you know him from is Spider-Man. Yes, that's... You know that's my favorite superhero, right? Yeah, my I, son's too. I know. That's why we get along so well. Not that we've ever spoken before. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> and... That's really it. Everyone else like had a pretty minor role... Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I'm going to jump right into it because I want to get through my notes. So we can get to your notes. So we can talk about this case because I want to talk about it forever. Okay. Um, we open on a snowy night outside of a police station. Robert Durst and his dog walk into the police station. And after a detective snarks at him about dogs not being allowed in, rude, um, he says he needs to report his wife missing. I have a question that's actually important. What breed of dog is this? Is it an Alaskan Malamute? I don't know because I don't know what that is. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to look at it. Because they look kind of husky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably. It look kind of husky-ish and they have several dogs in the movie. We'll get to it. It's horrible. But um, yeah. Okay. And this actor nails Robert Durst's voice and he has like a weird like facial tick. Okay. And he does it both and it's creepy as 
fuck. I was like, oh, like I can tell you're hot in real life, but it's really bothering me. Old <laughs> <laughs> um, Robbie tells the detective that his wife has been missing for five days, which isn't completely unusual because she's in med school. So I have to ask you, and when Sarah was in med school, did she just disappear for days and days and days at a time? No, not <laughs> like sometimes it felt like I didn't see her for days at a time, especially like when she was on night shifts because she would come home after I'd already left for work and then she would be gone by the time I got home. But we were like in contact when she was gone or I would have dinner with her at the hospital. And he also tells the detective that she has a drinking problem. So if anything's happened to her, it's definitely her fault and for sure not his fault. Man, you know, that disappeared five-day wife drinking problem really is convenient for you, sir. Also, he has a magazine in his pocket that has his dad's face on the cover. Like, just conveniently, he's like, this is my dad. (laughs) You don't just carry around a newspaper with your dad's face on it? Um, no, I don't. But also, my dad doesn't own every building in Manhattan. So <laughs> I really don't know why, but I thought you were going to say your dad doesn't have a face. And I was just like waiting for that to come out so that we could have a conversation about it. And then when you said own buildings in Manhattan, like I was like, Paul, this is the real world where Aaron doesn't yeah. say shit like that. Did you listen <laughs> in? That's why we drink today. No. Oh, and story is so good. It's I, we're all pretty sure it's a creepy pasta, but it was so freaking creepy oh we're all pretty sure were you there whatever they taped it yeah. to <laughs> yeah, i was there no they talk about how right they and the rest of the internet right i know it was i hope that people feel that way about us i hope that people feel like they're hanging out with us me and you and no all of our friends i didn't mean it that way but okay <laughs> sure Just jan i really didn't okay anyways <sighs> then he's mean to the dog when, who won't sit down, which is not okay. Unacceptable. But looking back, it's probably the nicest thing he does to a dog in this movie. Oh, I don't um, like it when you say words like that. Basically, the detective is not at all concerned after Bob leaves. He calls him a rich asshole and, oh, buddy, you have no idea. Wait till he tells <laughs> his daddy what you said. Yeah. Bob calls someone who at first I didn't know who it was. It turns out to be Kathy's brother to to say he reported her missing. And then he just hangs up. (laughs) It's just an, Hey, I reported Kathy missing. Click average everyday phone call. Yeah. And we flashback. And this is one of those movies that is all over the damn place. So good luck. It's 1971 and Kathy is moving furniture into her apartment with her brother um she promises she'll be okay in the big bag bad city and then he leaves her and they play real songs wow there's two real songs in this movie the first one is the holly's a uh, long cool woman um kathy is getting ready for her day and she runs into bob in the hallway she apologizes for bumping into him and calls herself clumsy he introduces himself and says she must be new to the building. Then he calls himself odd in a way that I think is supposed to be self-deprecating and charming, but I know how this story ends, so it's not. It's just weird. Unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Back in the present, which is really 1982, 
the police have descended upon Bob's building. Bob's building. (laughs) (laughs) It just sounds like Bob the Builder. (laughs) Oh, I was laughing because I thought it sounded like Bob's Burgers. Oh. I love Um, Bob's Burgers. The doorman says he hasn't seen Kathy since, like, the last time he saw her, which was when... (laughs) thanks thanks bro which was the day that bob reported her missing or bob said that she went missing um and then oh and then he says that she and bob are almost never together um back in 1971 bob randomly shows up at kathy's door and when she opens it he says he's there to collect the rent because wouldn't you know it he also owns the building how did you not know that you had a new keep going (laughs) (laughs) um while he's there to pick up the rent check, he asks her out on a date. Like you do? I, I see no conflict of interest in this. Yeah. They go to a super fancy restaurant where his family just has a table. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, I have a question. The, Does that impress you on a first date or do you find that to be a little ostentatious? No, it's incredibly pretentious. Okay. Um, he, so he's not, he's not dressed appropriately and the maitre d' tries to like ask him to leave, but Bob just does that pretentious, I'm rich and I can do what I want. Please go away, peasant thing. Um, they offer him a jacket so that he can be within dress code and they can eat, but he says no. And Kathy, thoroughly embarrassed, drags him out and they go eat on some stairs and smoke a joint. Okay. That sounds like a nice date. Actually, it does. Um, Bob tells Kathy about his sad, sad rich boy life and how he'll never wear a suit and tie just because his father wants him to. I hate you, Dad! No matter how rich you are, you can't escape daddy issues. It's true. Then he starts barking. I'm sorry. I was, I was not paying attention. It sounded like you said he started barking. He started barking. That's... That's correct. That's unacceptable, sir. (laughs) Um, On a different day, he shows up at Kathy's house with a dress for her to change into and then takes her to like some crazy restaurant with painted ladies and, you know, stuff like that. Which sounds like a really cool place, actually. Okay. Also pretentious or you get a pass? No, no, no. It's like hippie, like downtown. Like, yeah. Yeah. they see, okay, so this is the pretentious part, though, right? Great. I was waiting. They see a woman, and he's like, that's Mia Farrow's little sister, Prudence. John Lennon wrote the song, Dear Prudence, about her. Oh, okay. So he's name-dropping, like. I Yeah, I see that. Then he just asks her to move to Vermont with him. We've been on two dates. We smoked a joint together. That's true love. Come move in with me. Um, so they move to Vermont and they make out and they throw sticks for the dog in the woods. They smoke out a lot and just live this. Oh, they, they have sex and they live this crazy hippie dream. That actually sounds kind of nice. Um, yeah, no joke. Um, one day they lose the dog whose name is Igor for some reason. Um, Kathy and Bob are running through the woods looking for him and they get in a fight when Bob starts barking again. Maybe that's how he calls his dog? I'm guessing since his girlfriend does not care for it, probably not. 
Then Bob gets a letter from his dad that want, saying he wants him to go back to work for him in, in New York City. And he gets really mad. So he goes outside to chop wood aggressively, which is what I do when I'm upset. Oh, yeah. All day long. That's what I intend to do all this week to get rid of all my aggression. Just chop some wood, sweat, show mm-hmm. off my chest hair because I'm a lumberjack. Um, <laughs> sing the Gaston song until I die. That's my plans for Thanksgiving break. That's delightful. Not what you said you were doing earlier. <laughs> well, I didn't think it would come out this way. Um, wow. Um, back in the 80s, the detectives find out that Kathy had a divorce lawyer. And Bob wouldn't agree on a settlement. So they were trying to get, like, their, she was trying to get divorced. And they also found out that they've had, like, six dogs over the course of their relationship that all, quote-unquote, ran away. Hmm. Okay. You should probably just stop getting dogs. I choose to believe that's what happened because I cannot lose any more dogs this week. Um, (laughs) Yes. Can't do it. Um, Just then, a bunch of Kathy's friends come into the police station to say that this is 100% not a missing persons case. This is a murder case, and they need a police to do their job. Us too. We've been waiting for what episode is this? Forty six episodes, something like yeah. that. <laughs> um, that Kathy was afraid that Bob was going to kill her. They've also been going through his trash, like you do. Um, and they turn over a schedule he had made up from the day that she disappeared, and letters of Kathy's that he started throwing out the day after she went missing. I was about to ask, what do you think is in a rich person's trash can? But apparently, it's. Letters from it's your miss- an alibi schedule and letters. Right, right. Back in the seventies, Bob takes Kathy to meet his dad, and his dad is exactly as pretentious as advertised, and gives them a long speech about cutting their hair and learning the business from the bottom up. <laughs> Great. In the eighties, Durst lawyers up, and his lawyer tells the cops to fuck off. Um, it's Kathy's birthday. And Bob gets her a collar. And she opens it and she's like, what the fuck? And he's like, it's to go with your brand new dog that has the exact same name as the old one, which isn't creepy at all. Well, no. Why recycle a name? I mean, why get a new name when the old one's not in use anymore? You can just recycle it. That way you don't even have to learn a new name or print new tags. It's Mm -hmm. cost effective. Mm. Sure. You're so lucky you have me. You would not have figured that out clearly. That's the word for it. (laughs) And we meet Susan Berman, who's Bob's third victim. I mean, his best friend. (laughs) He, He finally gets his hair cut like his father asked him to. And he proposes to Kathy in the barber shop. And who says love's dead? I mean, it's no LinkedIn relationship, but I guess it'll do. <laughs> um, they get married, and Bob's dad doesn't even buy their meal at the lunch afterwards, and so Bob is mad. <clears throat> so Bob goes to work for the family, which mostly seems to consist of him prank-calling his brother from the office next door and then holding a wrench menacingly when his brother tells him to knock it off. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> This is not real. I think you watched the wrong movie. So real. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. Also barking. Well, yeah. You're holding a wrench. You have to bark. That's the rule. It's still a thing that he does for some reason. Back in the 80s, um, Bob goes to meet Susan at a bar. She tells him he looks like shit. And she she chastises him for sleeping with Mia Farrow's little sister. So that one came back around. Oh, that's what we call a callback. And once again, he's like, Dear Prudence was written about her. I couldn't help myself. Um, so Susan's now, like. To be fair, um, All of Me was written about Chrissy Teigen, and I probably wouldn't be able to help myself. So. Yeah, and then John Ledger would kill you. <laughs> I say, not that I have a chance, is the second half of that. <laughs> <laughs> um,. So Susan confiscates Bob's phone and starts doing PR damage control while they drink martinis. Um, Back in the past, Bob comes home from work and Kathy is pregnant. Yay! Except no, not yay. He does not take the news well. He tells her to take care of it. She begs him not to make her have an abortion, but she goes to the clinic with her sister anyway. Who tries to talk her into leaving Bob. But she goes through and has the abortion instead. Later that day, she's snoozing on the couch. And she wakes up to Bob standing over her. Asking her why she's making, quote, that face. Please tell me she, like, had the world's ugliest face and he was afraid she was having a seizure. No. No. They, he, she's like, I'm not making a face. I was asleep. And they get in a fight and he throws her across the room. Um, he goes to punch her, but then he stops and walks away. He's and a then he real buys gentleman. Her oh, he is a gentleman. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I didn't realize punch this was going to buy her a house. I didn't realize this movie was going to have a happy ending, <laughs> but it can't go wrong from here, Aaron can only go wrong from here (laughs) Um, the police find out that bob is lying about the walk he supposedly took the night kathy went missing no and that he made a collect call from shit bottom new jersey which does not seem like a real place but i know that it is because they talk about it in the documentary if you are from shit bottom new jersey please email us (laughs) lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com um it's like supposedly a big mafia dumping ground. Sure, Dan. Okay, with a name like that, that's the only thing you can do there. It's true. It's a rule. And finally, finally, 45 minutes into this movie, the detective is like, oh, crap, he killed her. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's not even like at work. He's just like eating breakfast. He's got like... He's cut into his fried egg and it's like hanging off his fork. And he's like, son of a bitch. How did I miss that? (laughs) Um, And we have more real music. It's White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. I was going to guess. um, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, wrong decade. That seems like a more appropriate song here. Wrong decade. White Rabbit by the Jeff- by Jeff- by the Jefferson Airplane. I'm just doing it to everything now. Um, He'll show me. Yeah, I will show you. <laughs> it's like such a good song, though, for real. Oh, yeah. I um, love that song. Oh, man. Uh, so 
this plays in the background while a lady comes to clean Bob and Kathy's new house and comments about how great their life must be. You know. The detective tries to get the DA to charge Bob with murder, but he's like, nah, I like to win my cases. <laughs> okay. So we flash forward again to 1999 and a guy in jail calls a different detective to let him know that he knows that Bob killed Kathy and was never arrested. So can he like come get him out of jail now? Cause that'd be great. <laughs> this movie, I'm just, Hey, I'm having real trouble keeping up with the timeline. I'm going to have to start taking notes. It is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> So he says he knows because his ex-sister-in-law was dun-dun-dun, the housekeeper. So they start going through files because they're going to solve this case 20 years later. Yay. Um, hey, I don't care if it's 20 liters later. 20, 20 liters later is what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if it's 20 liters later. It just needs to be solved. Um. Well... They'd solved it sooner. Maybe so many people wouldn't have died. I don't know. So Kathy goes to nursing school, much to Bob's dismay. She meets a lot of new friends and it's all excited. Um, But when she goes home, she's putting her books away and finds a bunch of weird Polaroids of their house that Bob has hidden on a bookshelf. So when he comes home, she asks him about him. She's like, what are these? Like, they're weird. And he's like, well, you caught me. I'm having an affair. (laughs) <laughs> and she's just like How? okay i'm not sure you know what a, an affair is if you're just taking pictures of your house that's just photography so that's just a hobby pictures, he put the pictures so that before his mistress comes over he can take everything that has kathy uh, oh and put it away and then he knows where to put it back oh my god i would have never i would have never guessed that that's what you could do with this idea uh, well, now you know. Um, yeah. So in 1999, they're interviewing the housekeeper who says she's afraid of Bob. Um, but she also is like, well, I found these kinky personal ads that he placed in the paper. And he was just a really weird dude. Um, so Kathy and Bob are back in the 70s fighting about money. She tells him that he's just like his father. And then we cut back to the 1999 cop at the Durst house talking to the new owner and looking around. She gives him permission to bring in searchers to look for any leftover evidence that may be there. Bob and Kathy go to her family's house to celebrate her graduation from nursing school. Susan comes, which surprises Kathy. And then Bob gives a drunken speech where he says nice things, but with a mean undertone. Yikes. Very passive aggressive. So in 1989, the detective goes to Kathy's mom's house to let her know they're reopening the investigation. Kathy's mom is not impressed. She's like, let me give you a list of all the shitty things that he's done since my daughter disappeared. Um, And then so we cut back to the 70s and Seymour Durst passes over Bob as the firstborn and gives ownership of the company to his brother Doug Bob throws a fit and pees in the corner of the conference room so I really can't understand why, <laughs> why he, he would not be passed chosen. over I'm sorry I, so he barks 
at people and pees in the corner. Was he played by a talking Great Dane known as Scooby Doo? <laughs> no, it was it was Marmaduke. <laughs> oh, that explains it. Thank you. I did like I pictured just from I think it's the first Scooby Doo live action movie when they're all on the plane mm-hmm. and Scooby Doo's in this giant like moo dress and a big sunbonnet. That's who I have now pictured as the main character of this movie. Well, if you did your research right, you know that he did dress and drag for a while. Oh, I did my research. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's Christmas time now and Kathy, we're there at Kathy's family's house and uh, Bob is like, I want to leave, but she doesn't want to go. So he just casually drags her out by her hair in front of her family. That checks and out. Then she, and she gets in the car and leaves with him. That's how every Thanksgiving ends with me and Sarah. Just I get tired of her family, like, so I just haul her out by her hair. <laughs> he apologizes the next day and says that it's not his fault. He just hates the way that her family is so happy and he's so sad all the time. Uh, okay, fuck that argument right there, the poor sir. Poor little rich boy. <laughs> um, the 1999 cops go to interview the doorman from the night... Um, Kathy disappeared and he admits that back then he'd had a drinking problem and he never saw Kathy that night like he said he did he had left his post to have drinks and if he had if he hadn't lied his boss would have found out and fired him so that sucks um Kathy starts having an affair with the doctor she works with um Bob tries to get it on with her in the middle of the night and she refuses. So he rapes her instead. I'm not enjoying this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I say that like, this it's isn't a true so story. Like that. I could just even, turn it off. Yeah. Even if, even if you're married to her, it's still rape. Mm, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Bob. So then, like, I guess the next day or something, Bob comes home on the boat. There's, like, a river that runs behind their home. And he comes up on the boat, ties the boat up, and he's, like, walking up the stairs. And Kathy starts freaking out because he left with the dog and came back alone. That damn dog ran away on the water. He was Jesus and just (laughs) took off across the pond. And he just completely ignores her cries. Like, he's just, like, walks completely silently, like, walks into the house and shuts the door. Um, at school, Kathy finds out that Bob's not paying her tuition, so she storms home and confronts him. He tells her to have her boyfriend pay for it, and then when she calls him a hypocrite because he's had an affair too, he slams her against the wall and then beats the shit out of her. While screaming, the Beatles wrote a song about her! (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't have to see this beating, just hear it. Um, she goes to see a divorce attorney, and he's like... Are you sure? They're pretty rich. (laughs) The only reason to be married to someone. She's like, yeah, I'm sure. So he tells her to get her affairs in order while she's, and while she's digging through stuff, she finds a letter from a psychotherapist saying that Bob possibly is schizophrenic. So she takes that too and mails it to someone. And we cut to Bob who's getting his hair cut while sinister music plays. Which is what happens when I get my hair cut. Is this the same salon where he proposed? Yes. Because that is where Sinister Music should play. <laughs> totally. Um, 
So Kathy is in bed with her boyfriend and tells him that she's getting a divorce. And he's like, okay, whatever. Um, Bob and his new too short haircut find the stuff that Kathy sent to the senator because I guess it got returned to them. Um, and so he confronts her. She screams, just give me the divorce. And he grabs her arm. She tries to run out of the house, but he catches her and then strangles her on the floor while screaming in her face, you don't leave me. No, no, sir. Nope. But he lets go eventually. Um, she goes to the hospital to get like checked up and asks after her boyfriend, but he straight up moved to Denver without telling her. I'm I'm so shocked that he was not but invested also, in this like, relationship. What a douchebag. In 1999, the news about the police reopening the investigation hits the paper, so now Bob probably knows. Um, We cut to him arguing on the phone with Susan Berman about money that he owes her. We can speculate wildly about why later. (laughs) Um, Oh, probably because he lost a Nintendo tournament against her. Yeah. She says to just mail her a check, but he's like, why don't I give it to you in person? And I was like, no, girl, don't do it. But she's like, okay. Back in the past, Bob calls Kathy and says he's sorry for, like, almost killing her. But he thinks they should, you know, go to the house for a weekend um, and try to work things out. And she goes. And I don't want to victim blame because this is not her fault. But, oh, honey. Like, just seeing it from hindsight, I'm like, don't do that. Don't right. do it. Um, he brings a new dog, too. Oh, good. Igor version 7.9. Yes. They get to the house, and then he immediately leaves her there to go out. So he, like, convinces her to go there, and then he just, like, straight up walks out. So, yeah. Okay. That sounds like some kind of weird hazing ritual with a fraternity, but... Sure. Her nursing friends call and invite her to a party, and since Bob peaced the fuck out, she goes. Her friends try to convince her to just leave him already, but he calls the party looking for her. She's kind of drunk, so she's like, we're talking tonight. I am done. And she hangs up. Her friends try to convince her to stay with them, but she says no, and she leaves. Um, She walks up to the house, and it's completely dark, but she can see through the window Bob is standing with his back to her, looking out the back of the house. She slowly opens the door, and everything is quiet except a heartbeat and frog noises. I don't like that. Yeah, she like slowly. So it's like a close up of his his face. And then you can see her walking like up behind him. It's super creepy. Um, She. um, She walks up as she walks up to him. um, He takes off his glasses and it fades to black. And we cut to the next uh, morning. The house is empty and quiet and Bob is speeding down the highway. In 1999, Kathy's brother calls the police, asking them to contact Susan Berman because she has to know what happened since she's Bob's best friend. The detective calls the LAPD because he's been trying to get in touch with her and he's trying to follow up to get her contact information and finds out that Susan was murdered the week before. And the main suspect is... Oh, God. Um, I'm going to have to guess Ted Bundy. Robert Durst. I did not see that coming. No, right? The detective goes to Kathy's family and says now they just have to wait for Durst to fuck up. He will make a mistake. They will take him down someday. And truer words have never been spoken because he fucked up bad. 
Um, and the ending text says, quote, Robert Durst has never been charged in connection with the disappearance of Kathy Durst. Her body has never been found. Kathy's mother filed a $100 million lawsuit against Durst before she died in 2015. Kathy's family continues to pursue justice. Robert Durst was paid $65 million for his stake in the family business. His brother, Douglas, continues to run the, the billion-dollar Durst empire. In 2000, Susan Berman was shot in the back of the head before the police could question her about Kathy's disappearance. In 2001, Robert Durst, living in Texas, killed his neighbor, Morris Black, and chopped up the body. He was acquitted on grounds of self-defense. As of filming, Durst is in jail awaiting trial for Susan Berman's murder. The end. That fucking sucked. I still can't believe he got acquitted of it. <laughs> I just can't. Well, you know, the the key piece of evidence that was missing there was the head of the neighbor. So in my mm-hmm. notes... They've never found his head. Right. In my notes, I made up my own O.J. Simpson-esque chant. Okay. Ain't got no head, can't prove he's dead. <laughs> I mean, I think they can prove he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, now to talk about this asshole, like the real oh God, asshole. I'm so, so excited. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. So <laughs> I have like a million sources. Okay. I have um, the Robert Durst Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. Um, the strange case of Robert Durst from um, biography. Okay. Um. Robert Durst, a timeline of his life and alleged crimes from ABC News. Um, this Encyclopedia Britannica article for Robert Durst. Uh-huh. And then um, the Jinx full timeline of Robert Durst's alleged crimes and murder victims that um, came from um, the Metro. Um, written by Tilly Pierce. So, look, if you have not watched the Jinx, I want to let you go out off. on a limb and guess what I if I've seen it or not. You haven't. Seen it. <laughs> but to everybody else, Just go watch it. Turn this off. Go watch it and come back. Like we'll get to it, but like it was, it's so good. Oh my god. Okay. All right. I'm just gonna like sit, I'm just gonna like wiggle in my seat until it's time for me to talk. So. <laughs> Robert Durst was one of four children, mm-hmm. and he was born on April 12th, 1943, and grew up in Scarsdale, New York. Yes. Um, he is the son of real estate investor Seymour Durst and his wife, Bernice Herstein, mm-hmm. and his siblings are Douglas, Tommy, and Wendy. Um, so, his siblings are all straight up, like, terrified of his ass. I can't imagine why they would be. <laughs> That's weird. Mm-hmm. So, um, his grandfather on his dad's side, Joseph Durst, was a Jewish tailor who immigrated in 1902 mm-hmm. and became a very successful real estate developer. Um, and he's actually who founded the Durst organization. So, Robert would okay. have been the third generation and then it got post- passed over to Douglas. But they were, you know, it was a three generations corporation at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when Robert was seven years old, his mother died as a result of a fall from the family's home. Um, and then he later claimed that 
Right before his mother plummeted to her death, his dad walked him to the window and made him just watch out the window for a while. Um, now, in interviews, Douglas said that absolutely did not happen. Yes. Um, so I, I, I believe what Robert tries to convey there is that his father, like, somehow murdered his mother. Right. Or, like, forced her to jump off. Like Santa Claus style. Yeah, yeah, like he was he was pulling the puppet strings while when she when she completed suicide. Right. Um so Which is also like debated whether she completed suicide or whether she just fell. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so they did wind up going to a lot of um counseling and therapy for this. Mm-hmm. Um which makes sense. Good on you dad like you for do. putting yeah. them in therapy. Um tried. So um they also underwent counseling for sibling rivalry. And I'm so glad my parents didn't know that was a type of counseling. counseling for that? <laughs> I thought you just beat the shit out of each other, went to your corners, and then like 30 minutes later was like, do you want to eat? Okay. Like- <laughs> right, right. Um, but during this round of counseling, um, the psychiatrist said that Robert had... Let's see. They mentioned that um, he had personality decomposition and possibly even schizophrenia. And that's a rough diagnosis for a 10 year old. But like, yeah, now if you can. That's an early diagnosis for schizophrenia. So I was about to say, if you can catch it that young now, which is rare, um, because for schizophrenia, if I'm not wrong, Sarah explained this to me one time, you have to be able to rule out every other psychiatric issue to get a schizophrenia diagnosis. Yeah, and it usually doesn't, like, manifest until you're in your late teens or early 20s. Right. Um, So, he, when he was in high school, he was described as a loner, which I know we're all shocked. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he went to Lehigh University um, and got a degree in economics. Um, He was uh, a lacrosse player. He was the business manager of the student newspaper. Um, and then he enrolled in a doctoral program at UCLA. Um, and it is there that he met Susan Berman, but he eventually withdrew from the program. Um, so while he's living in LA, Mm -hmm. he dresses and presents himself as a member of the counterculture, which is really funny considering he's freaking wealthy. Yeah. Um, and but that's the kind of hippie I want to be. Like, I want to dress like a hippie and, like, act like one, but I don't want to be poor. Right, right. Understandable. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> in fact, one of the articles I read, I don't remember which one, said um, he presented himself as a member of the counterculture um, and he minored in in uh, marijuana consumption or some, like, very classy way to say all he did was get high, which just made me chuckle. It was just their wording that I liked. Let's I see. Mean... I also minored in marijuana consumption, so yeah, how I dare mean, you judge me? <laughs> so here it is. He minored in marijuana intake and engaged in primal scream therapy alongside John Lennon and Yoko Ono. You can't claim to be from the counterculture <laughs> if you hang out with John Lennon. <laughs> right? Um, also, that eye roll so was so intense, I think you could see last week. Like, <laughs> um, He also um, became an acolyte and studied with the guru for the Beatles and the Beach Boys, Maharishi Mahesh, Mahesh Yogi. Um, 
<laughs> Nailed it. Yep. You sure did. <laughs> and so it was on the tail end of this in the, um, in 1970, late 60s, he, um, he met um, the woman who would become his wife, Kathleen McCormack. Um, and then um, he was moving back to uh, New England to open a health food store. You know, like you do oh, when yeah. you're a counterculture hippie. Movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, you don't look like the health food type. And he's like, yeah, lots of people tell me that. <laughs> I don't know why. He's got a burger in his hand. And he's like, I don't know why people say that. It's like, hurtful. I love, and you know he says pecans. <laughs> <laughs> you know he does. Instead of pecans. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know he's a sociopath. Oh, for real. <laughs> Um, anyway, so, um, his dad urged him to move back to New York, um, and become a a haircut, right. And, and, um, become a real estate developer in his father's business. But it was, as you mentioned, Douglas, who was appointed, um, to, to run the family business. Um, and I wrote, but daddy, I deserve it. I'll show you. I'll piss in my uncle's trash can because that's what he did. <laughs> I am mature. Watch this. <laughs> I can aim at everything. Oh, like, um, so, like, Bobby, we put that Cheerio in the toilet for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so now in the, um, as I mentioned, in the, uh, early 70s, in the fall of 1971, he met Kathleen McCormack, who went by Kathy. She was a dental hygienist at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, after two dates, that's how many dates? Two. He invited her to move in with him. I mean, why wouldn't you? I guess All completely balanced and normal relationships start that way. I guess when you know, you just know. Um, anyway, yes, he invited her to move into his home in Vermont with him where he'd opened this health food store. And she moved there in January of 1972. So taking things real slow. Yeah. Um, so it was right after that that they moved back to New York and she went to Manhattan with him. And they were married in April of 1973. Um, now, in 1980, the couple, or by 1980, the couple had separated and he began dating Mia Farrow's sister, Prudence, who was the subject of the Beatles song, Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence was written about her. I wish someone you know, had told I just me watch that. Across the Universe. Right? I gotta go. <laughs> it's been fun. Bye. No. Um, so God, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. shortly okay. before her disappearance, she was a student in her fourth and final year at mm-hmm. Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. Um, okay. And she was only a few months short of finishing medical school. She wanted to do a pediatric residency and um, she was last seen by, by someone who wasn't Robert Durst. I almost Mm -hmm. said Fred Durst again. Like, I really panicked there. Um, The last time she was seen by... He did it all for the nookie. (laughs) Yes. Um, 
anyway, so the last time he was seen by somebody who wasn't, she was seen by somebody who wasn't him, um, was January 31st, 1982. She had gone to, um, a dinner party that was thrown by her friend Gilberta Najami in Newtown, Connecticut. Okay. And Najami noticed that McCormack, A, she hadn't like RSVP'd. She just showed up and that was unusual for her. And she was also wearing like kind of grungy red sweatpants, which was odd for her because she always like was very well dressed and um, presented herself very like professionally all the time. Um, so. Um, the North, I just want to like interject. I'm sorry. The Northeast is so confusing to me. Like, if I was like, oh, I'm going to go to a birthday party in Louisiana. You would have had to plan that thing a week ago That's so that you could like drive. a week-long trip for me. <laughs> and these people just jaunt around like it's fucking, like, playland up there. What's happening up there? <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm sorry. Look, as soon as they build the bullet train that connects Dallas, Houston, and uh, Austin and San Antonio, I'm going to be real happy. Me too. So when I'm 100 and on my deathbed, I'll be able to take the first ride on the train <laughs> and then <Right>. die. <laughs> die on the train before you actually make it out of the station. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be your luck. For real, I went to a meeting about transportation stuff on last week and they were talking about that. And I was like, uh, is this going to be like in my lifetime? my kids lifetime like what what are we talking here your grandkids will like celebrate it the first ride Yay. um yeah. <laughs> so anyway so kathy's friend um gilberta najami had thrown this party and um kathy left after she received an angry phone call from robert um and uh gilberta said she came Quote, she came to the house. She was visibly upset. Things were not going well that weekend. She made phone calls back and forth to Bob. Bob mm-hmm. would call the house and say, I want you home now. She didn't want to go. And then she said, the last conversation that I had with Kathy was a very powerful conversation. And as she was leaving my house, she turned to me and said, Gilberta, promise me if something happens to me, you'll check it out. I'm afraid of what Bobby might do. No. No, because that's when I jump on my friend and I'm like, you're not leaving here. Right. Sorry about it. Right. Um, so. But also, this is not her friend's fault. This is no, Robert Durst's fault. It's Robert Durst's fault. Yeah. Um, Allegedly. <laughs> um, so after Kathy met, uh, left Najemi's house, she was supposed to meet up with Najemi again at a pub called the Lions Gate in Manhattan. Um, when she didn't show up, that's when Najemi became concerned and called the police over and over for several days. And they're like, meh, you know, girls just run away sometimes. Girls just want to have fun. Um, and then, so days later, Durst finally files a missing persons report. Um, and as you mentioned, a doorman at one of the two Manhattan apartments where the couple lived, they had two apartments and Manhattan. Why do you need two homes in the same city? <laughs> I, would, I, not even, I, I would even forgive like, like a Queen, right? I would even forgive like a Queens home and a Manhattan home. Cause the bridge gets busy or whatever the hell reason you want to come up with. But like, baby, I'm too tired to walk that extra block. Let's just go to this one. <laughs> 
Well, and you know that they're probably both on the Upper East Side. Oh, absolutely. He's not living below, like, 10th Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... So the doorman at one of the apartments said that he'd seen Kathy on February 1st, um, which was one day after she was indisputably seen. But he also claimed that he'd only seen her from behind and couldn't be 100% sure it was her. Like, um, I saw her hair. So, uh, she was, she was here. It was a hair. Um, sir, do you know what hair looks like? Well, that's what I saw. Like, (laughs) okay. Hair. So, um, a private- this reminded me of what would you do? Stare. <laughs> yes. All God. roads go back to tell the hot blonde. <laughs> um, so, uh, later, a private investigator who was hired by Robert Durst, criminal lawyer, like by his defense attorney, Went to this guy and was like, hey, we need more information about that time you saw Kathy. And he was like, oh, no, I didn't actually see her. He's like, oh, I was hammered. <laughs> right. Thanks for asking. <laughs> um, so during this time, Douglas Durst reported later that um, Robert went through a series of seven Alaskan Malamutes, all of whom he named Igor, who all mysteriously disappeared leading up to the murder. I mean, to the disappearance. They all live on the same farm together and they're all still alive. So there. (laughs) Yes. Igor version 7.9. I want to adopt a dog so bad. All I've been doing is trolling like the rescue pages and it's getting depressing. I know. I have to make good stories for the doggos. Um, So Kathy had been treated at a Bronx hospital for facial bruises three weeks leading up to her disappearance. Uh, or like for From the three weeks before running her. into a door frame. Yeah, you know those door frames just come out and get you every <laughs> they time. They do. They come out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, she told a friend that Robert had beat her, but that she did not press charges over the incident. Um, she also had um asked for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar divorce settlement. So Robert, being the sweetheart that he is, and do you know what a sweetheart he is? Mm-hmm. he did the only thing you would do when you've beat the shit out of your wife and then she wants a divorce. And I don't know why she would want a divorce. Um, she's just one. She's just being complicated. It's probably her she time of the month. Money. <laughs> <laughs> she just wants that money. She's uh, just a gold digger. That's what it is. Yes. So he canceled her credit card, removed her name from the bank account and refused to pay for her medical school. And see, like, in my story, this is when she kills him. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then she gets away with it because he was such a douchebag. Well, and at the time of her disappearance, he was, like I said, dating Prudence Farrow and had been living in a separate apartment. And Prudence, I th- did they write the song Dear Prudence about <laughs> I can't. It's possible, you know. There's no way to tell. I will um, never be able to hear that song again and not think of this case. But he said that, or it, everything says that he was living in a separate apartment. I don't know if this is a third apartment or if they have split, like, who's living in which Upper East End apartment. Like, 
Well, considering his father owns like literally every building in Manhattan, he could probably just go wherever he wants and find an apartment to stay in. He just kicks people out of their house. Yeah. Um. So Durst initially offered after she disappeared. He initially offered a hundred thousand dollars for her return, but pretty quickly after that, he was like, "Nah, let's do fifteen thousand. A hundred thousand sounds like too much." That's a lot of money. <laughs> um. I only have. Sixty-five million dollars, a hundred thousand is really going to cut into my bottom line. Right, I can, I understand that poor guy. Mm-hmm. Um, poor dude. So, about three weeks after he reported her missing, um, he was seen throwing all of her stuff away, which he denied, but he was seen by like multiple people, and he's like, "I'm sorry, that was my favorite red dress I threw away." It's like murder 101. <laughs> like, what are you doing? He's one step away from that scrapbook of shame. <laughs> um, so when her friends and sister heard that she was reported missing, they actually broke into um, what they called their cottage in New York. Um, and to hoping that they would find her like hiding out there. Instead, they found that the cottage had been ransacked and uh, but her mail had been left unopened. So they became afraid and left. After this, they opened their own in, like investigations, you know, like you do, like Scooby-Doo style. And um, you go out with your friends and you just have a good time. And you accidentally find clues. You say jinkies and you wear an ascot. Just all those things. Well, I'm 100% here for the fact that her friends were like, we'll figure this out. The cops aren't doing shit. Oh, yeah, nope. absolutely. Um, well, That's what I would do if one of y'all disappeared. And I appreciate that. All over that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so... After this, though, um, their houses started to get broken into and all the important things that they found while they were doing their investigations were stolen from their houses. So that's just the weirdest coincidence. They only took the batteries out of my TV remote and and an entire spiral notebook filled with information. And I don't know what they're looking for. There's no way it's attached to this case. No, never. Mm Mm-mm. Um, so after, um, she went missing, police said that Durst claimed to have spoken to her when she called him at their cottage in Manhattan. He claimed that the last time he'd seen her was at the train station where she was planning to board a 9.15 PM train, um, to Manhattan. So the, he then claimed that on February 4th, the like administrator at him, at her medical school called and said that she'd called in sick on February 1st and was absent from class for the entire week. So I asked Sarah, I was like, when you were in medical school, if you'd missed a whole week, would your principal have called me and asked where you've been? (laughs) Um, She was like, no, one of my classmates would have, but it wouldn't have been like the dean of the school. And I was like, okay, just, just checking. Cause I never tell her what the case is. I just ask her obscure questions and then never clarify why I'm asking this. So and she doesn't even listen, so she just doesn't know. Right. She's going to get suspicious one day that I'm, like, building a case against her or something, and I'm not. I just only ask her the information I need. Yeah. Well, um, if nobody heard from you for several <laughs> days, who would call me? Oh, and while we're at it, who do I call for the life insurance? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just completely unrelated. Right. Two things on my to-do list. Okay. Uh, It's for a case, I swear. 
<laughs> so um I just have to Google it and my Google search history has poor Dave, my NSA agent, just freaking out. <laughs> like she's up to something but i don't know what i'm probably on i probably have a whole team of people trying to figure out what plot i have afoot um now <laughs> don't have any. do you ever take a little bit of joy in knowing that our agents have to listen to this podcast every week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shout out hi dave um in any case the uh that's what he decided, according to him, to finally uh, count her as missing. Because if she's missing classes, this must be pretty serious. I was just out losing my dog. I don't know where she was. I mean, she doesn't want to see me or her husband. But if she's missing class, serious. <laughs> God. So, um... They, um... They investigated kind of loosely... But then they quietly reopen the case for criminal investigation. So it just kind of goes cold. They declare her dead um, after a long time has passed. Like um, they declare her dead in 1987, even though she went missing in 1982. Like, and I understand, I understand yeah, how I that think works. You have to but, wait five years. Um, yeah, they did eventually right. change her death date to 1982. So um, okay. But, yeah, they did have to wait the five years. Um, but instead of dating the death from the time that she disappeared, they dated it to, like, the five-year mark, which was unusual, actually. Um, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> so when they reopened this case in 1999, 17 years after she went missing, um, they finally searched his, like, the other house that he had in South Salem for the very first time. That checks out. Yeah. Um, so this case, like I mentioned, reopened in 1909. They publicly announced the reopening in November of 2000. And that's a super important date. Okay. Because now we enter the second player in his party. So I mentioned that he met Susan Berman uh, when he was in college or like when he was at UCLA. Susan Berman was the daughter of a um, mobster named, I did not name him, nobody come after me, Davy the Jew Berman. Yes. Um. So she. So her dad was like big time in the mob. Yes. Big time. Like when Bugsy Siegel was killed like he was involved somehow like yes. that like big time and so she wrote um she was a journalist and an author and she wrote a memoir called easy street which was about her life growing up the daughter of organized crime and yes. how it took her until she was an adult to realize that her dad was actually an organized crime just like that all the signs were there but nobody suspects their dad of being a mobster um I wonder if she and Victoria Gotti ever like sat down and had the tea. I wondered that too, but also like it that very was very reminiscent of Victoria Gotti, like suspicions, but didn't want to confirm it to herself until it was undeniable, you know? Well, and it's that thing like where you don't talk about it within your like actual family. You right. Know? So 
Because if your mom's just bebopping along like everything's good and your dad's definitely not in the mob, like, what do you, I mean, what do you do? (laughs) Right. Um, So a month and a half after they publicly reopened the case, his good friend Susan Berman just turns up dead. I wonder what happened. And, well, and she had, like, been his alibi witness for his wife's disappearance. Um, So it was like a freak accident, right? Right. Just crazy. Freak accident bullet between the skull. Or between the eyes. Between the skull. (laughs) And then he had just recently given her $50,000. That's how you know that he couldn't have done it. (laughs) Is it though? So she was murdered execution style in her home. Mm -hmm. Um, Durst was known to have been in Northern California just days before she was killed. And he flew from San Francisco to New York the night before her body was discovered. He fucking... He just narrowly escaped. He barely drew them... He almost drew them a fucking map. Not only to Kathy's disappearance slash murder, but to Susan Berman's. And they're like, what do we do? They're like... God, I can't. They're like just throwing out names. They're like... Maybe it was Steven Jacobson. And then another guy's like, who the fuck is that? He picked on me in the third grade. He seems like someone who it kills me. It was Mia Farrow's Berman. sister, Prudence. Did you know the Beatles song, Dear Prudence, was written about her? That's <laughs> never going to get old, probably. <laughs> it, prob- it probably already did, but I don't care. I don't care. Um, it's funny. <laughs> so, the... Um, That's going to be my fun fact forever. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Durst confirmed to the LAPD that he'd recently sent her $25,000, even though they found records that show 50000 Um, And then he faxed the investigators a copy of her deposition from 1982 about his missing wife. And then he was... Like, you already testified. Here it is. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm not answering any more questions. So he was like, I want to tell you everything I know. I gave her a lot of money and she said something nice about me 20 years ago. And that's, that's the whole story Those of Susan Berman. things are not related. We're best friends. So <laughs> I give my best friends $25,000 all the time. Right? Same. Yeah. I, we're so lucky. We both have $25,000 to give each other just all the time. Well, and then I have money left over to like do the things that I need to do. Right. Exactly. Well, obviously. Because I'm so rich. We have so much. We don't even notice the 25000 missing. Yeah. I'm richer than Seymour Durst. So, um, she, so Durst said in a 2005 deposition that Berman had called him shortly before her death to say that LAPD had wanted to talk to her about his wife's disappearance. And then I just randomly flew to California, officer. Like, like he's completely unrelated reasons. He's allegedly handed them everything on a silver platter and they threw it like a Frisbee and they were like, okay, so what do we do next? They're like, this isn't what we want. (laughs) They sit down with him in the interrogation room and they're like, okay, so you tell me who we should arrest next. Anybody? Like, I don't know, but not me. (laughs) Um, it wasn't, I don't know who it was, but I know who it wasn't. (laughs) So, um, Durst then moves to 
everybody's home away from home, Galveston, Texas. <laughs> Galveston is the such dirtiest a coast. Dirtiest coast. <laughs> um, where he. The Texas coast can be pretty. Galveston is not that No, place. like Corpus is beautiful. It's I better than Galveston. SPI or Aransas Pass, like yeah. or Rockport. But Corpus, mm, there's lots of jellyfish, but it's prettier <laughs> that than Galveston. doesn't mean Galveston. it's not pretty. And Galveston is just where all the trash goes. And it's not like, Galveston, it's not your fault. It's just where all the trash goes. Both. Literally, in the jinx, the people from Galveston are like, this place is a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway... Durst runs to Galveston and then just because something inside of him spoke, not because he was in hiding, not because he was in hiding, he no. began to dress as a woman and call himself Dorothy. And I don't know. I do that. Is it Kiner or Cener? So it's C-I-N-E-R. Do you know how it's pronounced? I don't. I think it may be Kiner sounds right. Okay. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, There's no way to know. It was the sixties. <laughs> okay, or two thousand. I know. I'm quoting <laughs> wine and crime. I know. Um, so he had been tipped off to the reopen investigation. You know, he mentions that in his deposition, um, and immediately. I knew, but that's not why I decided to move to Galveston and dress and drag. Okay, <laughs> right. And personal choice so he's living life as a fugitive so mm-hmm. on october 9th 2001 he was arrested in galveston after body parts began floating around of his neighbor morris black yeah and straight up like so the jinx like opens and you see the body part like Hard pass. that is how it opens Hard and i'm pass. like oh shit like this is this gets real yeah now not as real as paradise lost which opens on like dead bodies of little kids but nope. yeah um it's rough like if you do watch it like fast forward to through the first few minutes because they it gets kind of graphic i was like whoa that's a torso cool yep so um he is arrested and is released on a $300,000 bail the very next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then October 16th, he misses a court hearing and a warrant is issued because of bail jumping. And then I, I don't know how he got there. He doesn't know how he got there. There's really no way to know. But mm-hmm. November 30th, he was caught inside a Wegmans supermarket in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Trying to shoplift band-aids, a newspaper, and a chicken salad sandwich with roasted red peppers on a pumpernickel baguette. What did he have in his pocket, Paul? $500 in cash, and he's wearing his Mrs. Doubtfire wig. Yep. <laughs> that is a big... They're, they have the Wegman security footage. <laughs> have you gotten to his other... Have you talked about his other wife? No. I don't talk about her a lot. She does come yeah. up because she, she comes because well, she comes up in the Morris Black trial, yeah. right? Um, so during he does remarry in two thousand and and um, hold on, I've got her name written in here. Um, do, 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 do. And that lady was out to lunch, man. Deborah Ooh. Lee Sheraton, mm-hmm. um, and Deborah Lee starts like collecting records on him and sending them to friends houses for safekeeping mm-hmm. along the rest of his like crazed existence for a while mm, that's what i do with my boyfriend right uh linkedin look up 
and send them to my friends just in case. Right. Well, why not? Um, I mean. So, um, then the police search his room. Why rent- am I single? <laughs> I don't know. You're a catch. Oh, man. Um, so then police search his rental car, and he's got $37,000 in cash and two guns and marijuana and Morris Black's driver's license. Why are you shoplifting from a Wegmans <laughs> when you have cash in your pocket? Also, he had a map to Gilbert and the Jimmy's house in Connecticut. I'm not going to tell you what he was going to do because I'll get arrested for whatever, but I'll let you draw all the little red lines. He was going to tell her hello. To let her know they reopened the case. They were going to yes. they were gonna have some and champagne And to make together. sure she contacted the police with anything she knows because he really wanted to find Kathy that's, that's 30 it. years later. That's, we cracked it. We did. <laughs> so, he definitely wasn't going there to kill anyone no. else. Not with two guns. And a Mrs. Doubtfire wig. And 37... Who has $37,000 in In cash? cash? I mean, let's be honest. I don't have $37,000, period. Like, I don't have to say the in cash portion because it just... But if I did have $37,000, where would I even go to get $37,000 in cash? Oh, I would Scrooge McDuck the shit out of that. I would have it all in $1 (laughs) bills and swim around in it. I would, I'd be like, who wants to have sex on $37,000? So, um, anyway, um, he, um, also used this time really wisely. Like while he was on the lamb, he, um, you know, he's wearing the wig, he's shoplifting chicken salad sandwiches, and he's stalking his brother Douglas. So... We've mentioned his, like, strained relationship with Douglas. Um, <laughs> Which, to be fair, like, Douglas is kind of a dick. Like, <laughs> so, that sibling rivalry um, therapy, therapy he went to really as a kid worked. didn't stick. Because when they worked together in the um, corporation, <laughs> he kept a wrench, like a, a plumber's wrench in his office to shake at his brother and Douglas carried a pipe and shook back at him. And I'm like, Douglas isn't much better. He just hasn't killed anyone to our knowledge. And who is their father? It's not like, I'm going to beat the shit out of both of you. <laughs> right? I don't get it. Okay. Um. So he finally was extradited back to Texas for trial for the mm-hmm. murder of Morris Black. Um, he, um, they sit through two mock trials in preparation for the case. Um, the defense team had difficulty like communicating with him, so they said. So they hired a psychiatrist to find out why. And after oh, because he cray after seventy hours of examination, the um, psychiatrist said, "Oh, he's got Asperger syndrome." And I just want to point out that Asperger sin- syndrome now has been absorbed into autism spectrum disorder. It's ASD. Mm-hmm. Um, it has no cognitive dysfunction. It is just a communication disorder that makes it hard to speak and makes people like socially awkward. And yes, there are more things attached to it, but no point does that say you kill your wife or your neighbor or your best friend. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, and I'll even say like, he is socially awkward. Like when you see his interviews in the jinx, he's 
there's something there. It would not surprise I, me I if he's on the spectrum. Decline, I wouldn't even deny Asperger's or even full-blown, like, autism. But, again, you can have either of those conditions and not go on a murderous rampage. No. Stop talking crazy. Stop it. You stop talking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Durst claimed that he and Black uh, had a confrontation and black struggled for control of Durst's 22 caliber pistol and it accidentally shot him in the face it checks out i had a dollar for everyone that i accidentally shot in the face right then you'd have twenty five thousand dollars to give me whenever i ask for it right no i have zero dollars um so during cross-examination, Durst admitted to using a paring knife, two saws, and an axe to dismember uh, Morris Black's body before bagging and dumbing his remains in Galveston Bay. And I mean, that's what happens when you kill someone in self-defense and then freak out. Right. Well, and since they could never find Morris's head... They couldn't dispute that he had shot him in the face on accident and then chopped up his body on accident and then dumped it in Galveston Bay on accident. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he ain't the got a head. Though, he ain't really dead. The, the running theory is though that he actually shot him in the back of the head. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and but I what I hate is and maybe you're getting here. So let me know. Is that during the trial, like. Morris Black was like a cantankerous old man and nobody liked him. And so it was like, it's like Boo he, Radley basically, he basically was acquitted because they were like, well, he was an asshole. Yeah. The poor guy was, the poor guy was, um, vilified just because oh, completely. he, like, I don't get along with people either. That doesn't mean I deserve to get shot and killed. Yeah, you can be a cantankerous old asshole and also not deserve to get murdered. No. You are, you've got so many ideas tonight. Don't you know you're not supposed to have all of these ideas? I know I'm a woman. I'm going to write a book. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yeah. So as a result of lack of forensics, the jury acquitted Durst of murder. Um, Now I still don't understand how he was acquitted of this. I don't get it. And they interview the jury in the jinx and they're just like, oh, well, he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would kill somebody for no reason. So it's like, like straight up, they were like, oh, well, he probably had a reason. So we acquitted him of murder when he then chopped up the body and uh-huh. threw it in the bay. Now, uh, what this does make, what this does make me think of is um, in college, I had a friend who wrote their thesis over um, what they called the CSI effect and it was how, you know, and it's kind of a widespread theory now, like not that this person created the theory, but they were just kind of on the front end of understanding yeah, the theory yeah. that because of shows like CSI, which did premiere in 2000. So it'd been out four or five years at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Because of shows like that, that made the gathering of forensics look so easy and look like there should be an abundance of everything um, that there was a while that um, that juries were misinformed on the amount of forensic evidence that should be at a crime scene and that lots mm-hmm. of crimes went unpunished or acquitted because of a lack of forensic evidence because they expected everything to be like those shows. 
And I wonder how yeah, much of that played into this case. A, probably a lot, but this is actually still a thing. Oh yeah. Last time I was on a jury like selection, which has been a while, but which I would never get picked to be on a jury. So I just, you know, sometimes I get to go to selection and that's fun for me. But um, they ask you like, do you think you could convict someone without DNA evidence? Cause I was on a, I was on one for like, they were choosing a huge panel for a murder trial and I wouldn't have gotten picked, but they were like questioning, but they were asking people, do you right. think that you could convict someone based on evidence other than DNA evidence? Right. Um, so yeah. And so, like I said, just as I've read this, I wondered how much of that played into it. Um, mm-hmm. so he was, however, found guilty on two counts of bell jumping and one count of evidence tampering because he dismembered somebody's body. Like that sounds like evidence tampering to me. Well, if it wasn't a crime, then what's the, what evidence is it? Right. That's what I would have argued as his defense attorney. So um, as part of a plea bargain, he received a sentence of five years. He was given credit for time served, so he I'm only good. had to serve three years in prison. He was paroled in 2005, um, and the rules of his release required him to stay near his home um, and to Which request... <laughs> right. Um, but to stay in New York and to request if he wanted to travel. But that December... He's at the mall in Galveston and runs into the judge who tried his case. That's unlucky. <laughs> like, like, this Can you is. Can imagine being a judge and like, this bitch. <laughs> right? I'm like, this guy claims coincidence on so many things. And then this one, it really is a coincidence. And it just makes me giggle. Like, mm-hmm. you asshole. So. For some reason, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles determined he'd violated his parole and he returned to jail. So he yeah. was he was released again on March 1st, 2006, the day before I turned 18. Mm. Woohoo. Good. March 1st, I have one and a half year old child. I was still a child. I still am a child. I mean, so was <laughs> I, but... <laughs> um, so... In July of 2014, he was arrested again because he exposed himself to piss on a candy rack at a CVS in Houston. (laughs) Okay, R. Kelly, slow down. Like, so, a few days after um, a... So a few days after a first degree murder warrant was signed by an L.A. judge um, in March of 2015, Durst was arrested um, on Canal, like at the Canal Street Marriott in New Orleans, um, Mm -hmm. where he was registered under the false name Everett Ward. Also, the stupidest way you can spell Everett, because it's E-V-E-R-E-T-T-E. That's a lot of E's. So (laughs) are we skipping over the jinx? No, because this all ties in together. Okay. So um, his arrest happened the day, um, either the day of or the day before the final episode of The Jinx was airing. That's right. Because, and it's funny because it came up again this week in an article that I was reading about something else, but they were talking about spoilers. Uh Uh-huh. Like on TV shows. And... So somehow they had kept like the the ending of the jinx so secret 
But the day before it aired, somebody at the New York Times got a hold of what happened and released it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. It was the day that it aired and they wrote about it before it had aired on the West Coast. Yes. So after it aired on the East Coast, they wrote about it before it aired on the West Coast and people lost their shit. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was either the day of or the day before, because I've read two different accounts. Um, but he was arrested. I think it was the but, day before. Okay. If I remember correctly. That's what I... I closely. That's what I remembered also, but mm-hmm. I wasn't 100% sure. So, um... Uh, Which, you know, there is no better timing to get everyone to watch your documentary finale than that shit right, right. there. Well, so... That ties into his case right now. Um, mm-hmm. So the Jinx was this um, documentary series. I think it was five episodes that um, covered um, Robert Durst. And uh, he submitted for like he's set for interviews yeah. and people important so, around him set for interviews. Douglas. Oh, go ahead. So since I do the TV stuff, I'll just like real quick. Yeah, this and you watched Andrew, it. So Andrew Jarecki, he um, directed a movie called all good things and it's a biopic about robert and kathy durst and so um it's a ryan gosling uh-huh. and um so after this robert durst reached out to him right and asked him to do a documentary about the case and that leads us to this right so this five-part series was super well received like i mean it really was something that everybody was watching except for me it's so good you have to watch it it's so good um (laughs) and so um los angeles county deputy district attorney said um that they that new information had been uncovered by the filmmakers of the HBO documentary and that it was compelling enough That's one way to put it <laughs> that it was compelling enough for them to fly um to repeatedly fly to New York to interview witnesses including friends of Durst and Berman um mm-hmm. and that all of this helped come together to reopen this case and to um have enough information to arrest mm-hmm. Robert Durst um, so it, um, he was observed when, at the time of his arrest, he'd been observed to be wandering aimlessly around the lobby and mumbling to himself. He'd driven to New Orleans from Houston four days before. Mm-hmm. He had a thirty-eight revolver loaded with four live ra- rounds and one spent shell casing. Mm-hmm. Um, they found five ounces of marijuana, his birth certificate, uh, his passport, maps of Louisiana, Florida, and Cuba, um, a flesh-toned latex mask. Oh, I don't like that. And the fake Texas ID used to check into the hotel, a new cell phone, and cash totaling $42,631. Where do you get this cash from? Oh, probably from the UPS. And I say that because they also found a tracking number with him that led to an additional $117,000 in cash and a new pair of shoes. Also, just to be an asshole, I think it's just UPS. <laughs> nope. The UPS. The United Parcel Service. I don't think that's right. Um, the, but whatever. Um, so, uh, 
Sorry. So, um, the package was sent to Durst by a friend in New York. It was seized after his arrest. Um, bank statements at the time found that in one of his, uh, found, sorry, bank statements were found in one of his Houston condominiums. Cause at this point he's just got hideouts wherever he wants them that he right. had withdrawn $315,000 in a little more than a month. Okay. Um, so on March, I know he has sixty-five million dollars, but that's so much. Right. On March fifteenth, two thousand fifteen, New York State Police Investigator Joseph Becerra um, said, "Sorry, he removed sixty file boxes from of Durst's personal papers and effects from the homes mm-hmm. of his from the home of his friend Susan T. Giordano, um, where they had been sent by his." wife Deborah Lee Charlton Sheraton mm-hmm. that we mentioned earlier um to say for safekeeping they mm-hmm. were also had stored videotape depositions of Durst Sheraton and Douglas Durst all related to the Morrison Black case mm-hmm. so all of this stuff they've kept in file boxes um and then so then there was this like firearm bullshit from New Orleans do you know about this after his arrest but I don't know after his arrest, um, the uh, authorities in New Orleans try. Um, so his defense attorney said that he waives the extradition, um, and that he'll voluntarily return to California. And mm-hmm. they're like, "No, you don't have to extradite him. Like, we'll just get him home safely." Sure, Jan. He's already skipped out of jail. Like, okay. we trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, so state Louisiana state police filed charges against Durst for being a felon in possession of a firearm and for possession of a firearm with a controlled substance, which would forestall his ability to leave to return to California. Um, Basically the state police were putting all this pressure on him so that they would force the extradition rather than allowing Mm -hmm. him to waive it. Um, But it did take a, um, it did take up a lot of time in court and like doing negotiations, but basically does. Right. The whole thing was set to just stall things so that he couldn't just leave of his own accord. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, on December 16th, there's a 2015, um, there was a joint motion that ruled out. Oh no, sorry. That was me skipping ahead. Um, so, his trial for the federal federal weapons charge was scheduled to be September 21st, 2015. Um, and then it's at this time that his, uh, defense team confirms that he's in poor health. He has hydrocephalus. He has a stent in his skull. Um, he's had spinal surgery and he had cancer removed from his esophagus. So not doing great, um, guilt cancer, but he's not doing great. (laughs) So, um, the let's see um the trial gets rescheduled to january 11th 2016 but mm-hmm. in the meantime on november 16th the new orleans federal judge um rearranges him on the weapons charges because they've gone back and forth about dropping them and picking them back up and whatever um right. so when asked durst's attorney says that Durst did not kill Berman and that he just wants to resolve the other charges to expedite Durst's extradition to Los Angeles and face that charge. Okay. Um, so he finally changes his plea to guilty to the federal gun charge and receives an 85 month prison sentence. Okay. 
Um, so then all this time gets set up for them to set up the Berman trial case. Right. Um, now, what has thrown the world into a tizzy is that final episode of The Jinx. Mm-hmm. That there is a confession. The whole thing closes with a confession. Well, and we'll so talk about okay. okay. Tell your part. And then. Are you ready to talk about it or no? Well, that's okay. where I was headed. Okay, so I just want to like set it up. So they, the whole time this this documentary is like Andrew Jarecki realizing like I'm sitting next to a murderer. Right. Because I think he went in like, I don't know if he did it or not. And then slowly over time, he's like, oh, shit. And so in like episode three, I think. It's a six part. I said it was a five part earlier. Six part. Sorry. I finally found my notes on it. Episode three or four. Durst, like they take a break and Durst is like rehearsing what he's going to say to himself. And his lawyer steps, and of course his his mic is hot, so his lawyer steps in and he's like, "Hey, like, they can hear you. Like, don't do like they can hear you because he's like, he's like saying to himself, I wasn't lying. I was just this. I wasn't lying.' But he's like trying to to like figure out what he's going to say. And so this goes into the next episode where they're they're comparing the handwriting samples from Durst and from the letters, which match. Right. And he spells the same words, which is Beverly, um, in Beverly Hills. Right, because this this note uh, tells where where the body is going to be found. Of right, uh, right. It says cadaver uh-huh. something 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 Beverly Hills. It's the yeah. cadaver letter. So then the last episode, they gather all this stuff and they're going to confront him, which he's been dodging them because he's been like traveling and doing stuff, and he's like, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. So they finally get him for like an hour. Mm-hmm. He sits down. They confront him with all this stuff, and he's just like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do it. So then he gets up and he goes to the bathroom. And then I have this transcript that plays in the final yeah. episode. So this might is hot. And so the final episode, is this how it closes? That's what I understood. Closes. This is how it closes. And yes. Yeah, so he was arrested on the same day as this final episode. I finally found all my notes on the jinx because okay. they're kind of scattered. <laughs> um, so the microphone recorded himself or recorded him saying to himself, there it is. You're caught. You're right. Of course, but you can't imagine arrest him. I don't know what's in the house. Oh, I want this. What a disaster. He was right. I was wrong. And the burping, I'm having difficulty with the question. What the hell did I do? Killed them all, of course. Which I remember watching it because this came out week to week. This was not like a binge watch thing. This right. was like a weekly release. I remember seeing that when it first aired and being like, holy shit. I've never seen a murder confession before, but I just saw one. So you didn't. You might have, and I'll explain that in a second. So, um, this the jinx has actually caused a lot of trouble with this trial as well, because it becomes the perfect cover for saying, you know, that it's a big conspiracy against this poor man, and his defense says that the jury is now swayed because of this very popular documentary. It'll be hard to find somebody who hasn't seen it. Mm-hmm. And um, that the show paints him as this villain and that public opinion is going to be swayed. And so, um, but the, the only thing that I would argue with is that, like, I don't think that Jarecki, like, set out no to make him a villain. I really think that he just was like, oh, I'm going to make this this documentary about this guy that maybe killed his wife, maybe didn't. It's going to be whatever. Right. And then you just slowly see him come to the realization, like, off. Oh, 
fuck. Like, <laughs> so the um, the court subpoenas all of the raw footage, like all of the raw files from mm-hmm. this. And what they find is that that closing piece was spliced together in a different order than the things that he actually said. Hmm. And so um, that did he, say the things? he said all those things, but he didn't say what the hell did I do? Killed them. Of course, uh-huh. those were two separate conversations he's had with himself that spliced together sound exactly like a murder conf- confession, but so it's breaking bitten together. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's the thing they do in the bachelor a lot. Right. And so I'm going to say that he still said it. Right, but and I wouldn't go into a bathroom and be like, "I killed them all." If I didn't, <laughs> um, I'm trying to see where I have that written, I might have left that one out. But um, the they might not have released everything. But I know the official statement is from the court itself that that was not the order in which he said things, which changes the intention and meaning of the things that he said. I think that's really semantics. Yes. But I really think that that's like, but also all the that, semantics of it is what's going to get is, is his like reasonable doubt. Right. All that to say it's that because it was pieced together that way is what a lot of the defense is writing on, yeah. on this case, because he was supposed to go to trial for this in, um, September of this, like of this year, but Mm -hmm. it has now been pushed back to January. So he will actually go on trial January 13th, 2020. Um, It's it's interesting because really, again, it comes down to semantics, but also like Andrew Jarecki is not an investigator. He's not a police officer that was interrogating him and then took something and, and mixed it all up. Like, he is an entertainer. And so what he was doing was making an entertaining television show. Right. He had no idea that Robert Durst right. was going to be arrested the day his final episode drops. Like, Right. And probably also had no idea that that dumb fuck would go into a bathroom and basically confess to murder on a hot mic. Allegedly. does that? Right. Um, <laughs> so, um... Since then, as they're waiting for this case, there was a preliminary hearing that was in October of 2017. Um, these, and then that was actually delayed because of Hurricane Harvey. But these preliminary hearings, since they've had a couple, were to really and truly, it was to interview all the old people so that if they died before the case actually went to trial, they would have official court transcripts of what they said. Okay. So they've done some pre-trial stuff that way. Um, they... Um, Durst surprise pled not guilty during all this. Um, and then to save time, the judge ruled that prosecutors can present evidence involving the black murder. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of having to move, instead of having to file all the paperwork to get all this stuff in, he's just blanket mm-hmm. said, yes, that's fine. Um, yeah. And so. Um, I think even if you took all of the jinx, and threw it out. There's still plenty of evidence to convict him. Right. Um, so at least of Susan Berman's murder, maybe right. not Kathy Pierce, but of Susan Berman's murder for sure. So, um, 
There have been questions as to whether they can present the black evidence in this case or like why that's been allowed. And the judge said basically it's because these two things are intertwined that we can't at this point rule out that he did not take out a witness to the Morris Black case since they were friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why. Because I'm the judge and I said so. Yeah. Which would be my response to everything if I was the judge. Which is why we're not (laughs) in charge of anything. Um, So then in May of 2019, uh, a motion was filed by Durst attorneys to claim, uh, sorry, about the two handwriting samples, the cadaver note and then the note from 1999. Um, They want to say that it was uh, was illegally attained as well as some evidence from his arrest in 2015. um, And that there was a claim that they violated his fourth amendment rights. Um, so that none of the new Orleans evidence and the search of his hotel could be used because it was an unlawful search. So his, because he has $65 million, he can hire a really good defense attorney. Who's just going to tie this up forever in paperwork. Probably until he dies. Probably. But also like, I have to assume, cause I guess they're angling at the fact that Andrew Jarecki kind of obtained and his team, like obtained this, the, the notes and the handwriting samples, but I have to imagine that Durst signed something. Oh, yeah. Some kind of release before they started filming that. He's Andrew Jarecki's not that stupid. Right. Um, so. Um, I don't know. I fall on the side. He for sure allegedly killed these people. On, se- All of them. on September 3rd of 2019, um, the judge rejected an attempt by the defense attorneys to strip the producers of the jinx of protection laws uh, of California's journalist shield. So, uh-huh, I did that. Mm-hmm. so he's trying to claim the declare them as government agents, even though they were clearly just being journalists. So world, like what a world we live in right now. Right. Well, so since then more information has come out that possibly ties, um, Durst to the disappearance of an 18 year old named Lynn Schultz from Middlebury, Vermont and a 16 year old girl named Karen Mitchell from Eureka, California. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Hold on. Hold on. Cause in the movie, the parents of Lynn Schultz or somebody from the Lynn Schultz, like searching for Lynn Schultz comes in to their little like thing and gives that gives him and Kathy like a missing poster. Weird. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Cause he didn't like it. He was like, I don't like that, but it was like, it doesn't make any sense. And so I didn't talk about it, but that's so weird. Yeah. So, um, they so Schultz oh okay so Schultz actually might have been suspected because she disappeared um after she visited his health food store in 1971 mm-hmm. so um that's probably the tie there from the movie um and then an investigative journalist an investigative journalist tied his credit card tied Durst's credit card to Eureka, California on November 25th, 1997, the day that the um, 16-year-old Karen Mitchell vanished. And then 
Um, he's also tied to the 18, to the disappearance of 18 year old Kristen Modafferi, who was last seen in San Francisco in 1997. Um, and he just conveniently happened to be in the area. These girls all went missing within days of them going missing. Did he draw a map before he went there? Um, I think actually that's the case where they just have a handwritten diary that says, dear diary, today I went to... It, so, so what's your theory on Durst? Um, so he allegedly real guilty. So I think that he, so he qualifies as a serial killer for sure. Yes. But I don't think he's like an intentional serial killer. I think there's something like in the brain that there's like a wall where he stops and is like, the only way out for me now is for me to kill this person. We see through the course of... It's like he's doing it out of necessity, but it's not really necessary. Right. We see through the course of his life that he is impulsive Mm -hmm. and that he can't refrain from acting on the impulses. He pissed on his uncle's trash can because he got passed over for promotion. It's just so bizarre because he seems to go from zero to a hundred. But he doesn't seem like... A person that's like kidnapping people off the street and just murdering them because he wants to. Right. I want to. I want to know strange. more about these girls. Like the. Yeah. Um. And I would assume, or I, I would assume, just knowing what I know, that if if he murdered them, it was a situation where they made him upset, and at that point he was like, "This is the only way out of this situation." Right. It's so weird. So I, yeah, I could have gone on three hours about him. Oh, the other thing that I found very odd mm-hmm. is, um, so one of his employees has mentioned that she didn't realize she had unwittingly watched him and helped him make uh, fake driver's licenses and IDs because this was like the 60s and 70s and he had his own laminator and high quality printing equipment. So he just made his own IDs and the the employee didn't realize that like what they were witnessing was that happening. Um, he was rich as shit. So honestly, if I could afford that shit, I wouldn't like bother right. to go to the DMV either. Um, <laughs> and then terrible. he was also known as a prolific user of private mailboxes is the quote from Wikipedia. And apparently he had all these fake LLCs, which you and I know how hard it is to set one of those up. Dude. Like that's a nightmare. Yes, um, it really was. He had. And they're still emailing us about our taxes. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I talked, I talked to my CPA. Oh, good, um, good, good. The thing that they keep emailing us about right now is licenses, and i that's the thing I'm trying to figure out now. That's what I'm using this week for. Anyway, okay. but all of his fake LLCs were canine-themed. There was Wolfing LLC, Wolf Wolf hey, LLC, and then, uh, hey, Aaron says hey. hey. She says hey. <laughs> and then finally, Igor Fayette Incorporated. You leave the dogs out of this, sir. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you? Jesus. So, um, yeah, like I said, I could have talked about this case for four more hours. This case is bonkers. You have to get a seven-day free trial of HBO and just watch the jinx. Okay. Actually, so good. I have, I'm logged into HBO on my um, fire stick. 
awesome. You have to watch it. Okay. It's, it really goes by quickly, I promise. Okay. Well, or just I'm, watch the last episode, but you'll be a little bit lost. <laughs> I'm off this week, so. I know, you lucky I though. can. I only work two days. I really shouldn't be bitching, right. but. <laughs> well, and you and I are working all day on Wednesday, so. Actually, it's half a day. But <laughs> That's true. That's all day for me. Well, but it's going to be all day because I'm going to get up and watch the second movie before. <laughs> right. Before we record. All right. So, um, why do? Oh, do you have a Christmas movie to tell us about this week? Oh my God! Yes. Okay. Go to Netflix after you watch the Jinx, and watch the Night Before Christmas. And that's night K N I G H T. I saw that coming from a mile and a half away. <laughs> it look, I have a wide breadth for these movies, and this movie was terrible. Yes. First of all, the night from the year thirteen hundred and thirty-four is named Cole. That checks out. <laughs> but he asks everyone to call him Sir Cole. No. Do you know what that sounds like when you put it together? <laughs> Circumference's brother Circle. Circle. They just sound like they're calling him Circle the whole fucking movie. Wow. It's the funniest shit ever. Also, Deck the Hallmark is doing a Patreon episode about it, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. Awesome. Because they're like, Dan is gonna hate this movie. It was really bad. And I can I can see like the charm in these movies when they're so bad, but this one was awful. Understandable. How about you? Uh well instead of a true crime like I have been talking about, I'm just going to give a movie recommendation because I went to see the new Mr. Rogers movie. <sighs> um and it was so good. Tom Hanks is the most perfect Mr. Rogers if it's not played by Mr. Rogers himself, who's dead, so you need a Ouija board. Um, so Tom Hanks is what we get. So good. And so I expected it to be like a biopic about him, mm-hmm. and it's not, but it is. So it's inspired by uh, a real article that ran, I think, in Esquire magazine, because that's what it is in the movie. That's um, yes, where they were trying to like out him as some kind of weirdo but then they were like oh shit he's not a weirdo right (laughs) and it's about the relationship he built with this and it's loosely based on that it's fictionalized but um it's about the relationship he built with that reporter um and just how mr rogers was just one of the few beautiful souls who graced this earth that we did not deserve um fun fact and i told you this but um joanne rogers mr rogers wife Uh uh-huh was a part of my uh, fraternity slash sorority. She was a fine you. Uh-huh. And Mr. Rogers, you told me, is a it's... part of your fraternity. I know. That's why we're such a good pair. But um, so on Halloween, they had brought her, because our philanthropy is Children's Miracle Network. And they had brought her into like a, a wing of like. Uh, I know. I cried. All dressed like Mr. Rogers was the cutest thing Ever. They posted the picture the day the movie came out. Was it Halloween? I thought that was for World Kindness Day when everyone wore oh, no, cardigans. You're right. It was for okay. World, Card- World Kindness Day. I'm sorry. I was thinking Halloween for some No, reason. you're fine. They were close together. Um, but he... It's the sweetest thing. And she was like crying. It's precious. And I so cried too. I have like a personal connection to Mr. Rogers, which I love. <laughs> and also I need you to pick four numbers. 
Um, between one and 49. And I actually did re remove all of the movies we've already watched this time. I'm going to say 23. Mm -hmm. 16. Ooh, hold on. 16? Yep. So I said 23, 16, 9, and 41. Okay. 9 and 41. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this one's about. Okay, so in no particular order... She made them do it. Okay. Midwest obsession. I okay. We need this one for sure. A little thing called murder. Okay. And are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, now I am. Amanda Knox, <gasps> murder in murder trial in Italy for real. For yes. real, do you know who plays Amanda Knox? I did, and I've gone blank, but it's someone I know. Hayden Panettiere. Hayden Panettiere, okay. That's going to be a good one. Yes, it will. Um, that will not be the order they air in. Probably we will work out the schedule and post it on the blog. But Yes. It's uh, your December, Now, folks. until then. That'll um, get us, to, oh my God, that'll get us to the new year. That'll get us to our anniversary. Our anniversary. Also... Did you know we have 30 episodes on Patreon now? No. That's crazy. All little lies and like all of our Unsolved Mysteries. And the Unsolved Mysteries just keep getting better and better. Really are fun. I'm having a great time. Um, speaking of. Speaking of, if you'd like to hear those amazing Unsolved Mysteries, you can uh, join us at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. Mm -hmm. And tweet at us at Life Sentence Pod. Yes. You can follow us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence and um, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence and email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. And did you hit our website? Did I dream that? No. And you can uh, find episode notes sometimes and our schedule sometimes on Lifetime Sentence.com. I really am going to put. Uh, Baron in charge of this in the next few months and just let her run with it. Beautiful. Yes. Uh, well, until next time, guys, thanks for joining us. And yes, it's a little long this week, but I hope you loved it because I did. I for sure <laughs> did. Um, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.